0: Our reading this morning is from Luke chapters 19 and 7 and Mark chapter 10. The readings will be on the screen for you to follow along with. The scriptures from which I'm about to read, they're described as God breathed. They're his word and a gift to us as his people. And if you don't have a physical copy of the Bible, we would love for you to have one. So there's some at the back of the church that you'd be able to take home with you as well. We're told of God's divine love for us through these scriptures, and God reveals his character to us. After the reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, and we'll all respond together. Thanks be to God. Now let us hear the Lord speak to us this morning from his word. So Luke 199 to 10 says, and Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Luke seven thirty four to 35. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. And you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. Mark 10, verse 45 says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father thank you for the gift that it is to be here this morning. I pray that at this busy time of year when we can so easily forget why it is that we're celebrating that you'll help remind us the real reason behind why Jesus came and that our desperate need for you. I pray that as Andrew comes up to speak, that you'll bless him, and you'll speak through him on these verses from Luke and Mark. Still our hearts and our mind, and open them up to hear what you have to say to us this morning through your word. I pray this in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.
1: Thanks, Lauren. Uh, Yeah, uh, four readings, three readings um, this morning. Uh, kind of culminate in our Advent series. I'm trying not to spill the water. Uh, today is the last Sunday of Advent, and this time next week, uh, really hard to believe that next time, this time next week we'll be celebrating Christmas. Um, all the shopping will have been done. The turkeys will be in the oven. My turkey will be in the oven. That's why next Sunday will be short, because I have to get back for my turkey. Um, uh, all the presents will be opened, and I'll have been up since probably like half five in the morning to see what Santa brought, um, but for today, what I want us to do, just for the next few minutes, is t- t- to still look forward. We're still looking forward. Still the anticipation is there. And if you're like me, you still have lots of stuff to do before Christmas. And it's that anticipation that, that I want us to sit in uh, for, for just another wee while longer. Let's be patient. Let's not be tempted to jump the gun and skip ahead to the end. Uh, because the church, we the church, are people of Advent, And we talk about this a lot. We are people of anticipation. Of course, Jesus was born. We know He has come, and later on tonight we'll reflect on that and celebrate that in the carol service. But but even though He has come, we're still waiting, aren't we? We're still hoping. We're still getting ready. Because one day soon, Jesus will return, and He will return in glory. He'll come uh, to claim His kingdom, to reward His followers, and to judge His enemies. And on that day, I want you to hear this this morning. I, want, I, think, I believe that the people in this room are here for a reason this morning. On that day when Jesus returns, all the pain you have felt this year, all the loneliness, all the being overwhelmed by life circumstances, all the heartbreak, all the anxiety, all that will be over. I was thinking about this week. I was talking about it with a friend. Imagine waking up one day, and it slowly dawns on as you wake up that you have nothing worrying you. Imagine waking up and it slowly dawns on you that there's nothing gnawing at the back of your mind that you have to get done that day or nothing that is making you feel unhappy, nothing that is making you feel fearful. Imagine waking up that day, waking up and instead of slowly remembering all the things that are causing you anxiety, imagine waking up and and you begin to slowly realize that all that is in your heart and your head is satisfaction and comfort and joy and contentment. So do you, the question I really want to ask is, do you long for that? Because I know I do. And I've been feeling that a lot this week, the longing for that. And that longing is the heart of longing for Jesus. That heart is the, is the longing of Advent. And, and maybe it's just me, and maybe I'm just getting old and grumpy, <laughs> but uh, it feels like this winter seems darker than other years. Even, I, I think even in, even in the COVID years, like this year has been a year of sadness on a kind of a global level, hasn't it? Like we we're like watching the scenes of the war in Ukraine on TV or, or even the, the other day just reading of more people dying crossing the English Channel trying to get away from poverty and oppression and war in their own countries. Like people on our streets and communities that, are, that, that can't afford to feed their families. Yeah, people dying on hospital waiting lists because they're not able to get the treatment they need uh, this week as we did the cozy hub and welcoming people from the community i met a guy from syria uh, a, a young guy in his 30s a teacher he, he was a teacher in syria and he's come here because of the the horrible civil war he lived in aleppo uh, and he just needed someone to listen to his story he just needed someone to he's like he just told me that he's like i need, I need someone to hear this and his story would break you, your heart and i was just listening and i was thinking I, I want this to end when, when will this end and that heart, the heart, that heart, the heart for that to end, the longing for that to end is, is the heart of Advent. It's the longing for Jesus. And when we look around at the world, it's easy to think, where is the hope? Like, where is the hope in the world? I was talk- we were out for dinner on, on Friday night, and it was in town night, and I met a guy on the street, uh, and I got talking to him for like 20 minutes, and that was the question he had. He's like, where is the hope? And for 20 minutes, I got to just share the gospel with him and share the hope of Christmas. Uh, my heart was breaking this week, uh, just thinking about the parents of those, um, I can't even say it, those boys in England. Like, where's the hope for those parents? How can any of us live with any hope? And maybe you're sitting here thinking, wow, this is like Christmas week, and this is what you're hitting us with. But this is where I've been this week, and, and it's that tension that I want us to sit in. Because I think in that tension is where we find the hope. This is the the tension of Advent. Advent. Um, Sometimes I go back and, and look through the old sermons I've done, and I remember, like a couple of Advents ago, pr- probably before COVID, uh, we we had I think I had Dan and, and Chris come up, and they were pulling an elastic band to to talk about tension, because in the Old Testament, uh, hope is tension. Hope is is a rubber band being pulled tighter and tighter and tighter, and it's not a question of if it will break, it's a question of when. That's the hope. It's tension. And as Christians, we're looking forward to the coming again of Jesus. We live in in the expectation that the rubber band will snap. The tension will break. It's not a question of if Jesus will come back. It's a question of when. And so we say, oh Lord, how long will we wait for you to return? How long will we sit in this tension? And all this Advent, we have been looking at the breaking of the tension because the breaking of the tension began when Jesus came 2,022 years ago, I, I guess. We've been looking at statements that Jesus made about Himself, the Son of Man, He calls Himself the Son of Man. And just as a quick reminder, the, the Son of Man is, is this phrase from a prophecy in Daniel 7 where, where it tells of, of the coming of one who is in human form, like a Son of Man, who, who would bring with Him all the authority of God, one who would, would be given all... would would be given all dominion and authority one who would be given a kingdom and establish a kingdom an everlasting kingdom a kingdom without end and in which all people all nations all languages would worship him and so Jesus uses this phrase uh, to to announce that he is that one that he is the the one prophesied about in Daniel 7 he's he's the eternal son of god the one by whom and for whom everything that would be made, that was made was made but the Son of Man is also a title that reminds us of Jesus' humanity. This is Jesus saying that he is flesh and blood. He's a son of man. He's a son of humanity. He's one of us. In Jesus, God himself would come into the darkness, into our darkness, to be with us in our darkness and experience our darkness. And so far, we've considered, four, uh, we've considered three statements that Jesus made about himself and why he has come. So firstly, we saw that the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. And I'm I'm going to recap all of these because the fourth one today is the culmination. That the the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. We are all lost in sin. We're all separated from God with no way back. But the Son of Man, God in human flesh, has come to find us and save us and bring us back to God. This is what Christmas is all about, the coming of the Son of Man. God has come to us. When Jesus was born... Mary and Joseph called Him Emmanuel. That means God is with us. They recognized that God is with us in this child. Then we saw how the Son of Man has come. Jesus says, the Son of Man has come eating and drinking. He came as flesh and blood. We already sang that, to sleep beneath the stars that He had made. The Lord of all creation, depending on His creation, through the consumption of food. Think of this, that the, the, the one who who created the earth is now dependent on things that the earth produces to sustain him. But more than that, in eating and drinking with people, he demonstrated his mission to, to reconcile sinners to God, extending this grace upon grace towards us, to sit at his table and enjoy the food that he has made to create a people for himself. And then last week we saw Nick was here, and, and Nick talked talk, taught us through that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. This is the servant king. He is the servant king. He's not one who comes and grasps power and and lords over people. He comes to serve us, to kind of usurp our order of, of authority. And we like to think about all we can do for Jesus. Even this week, I was writing some cards for people that said, thank you for how you serve our church, and thank you for how you serve Jesus. And I'm like, oh, we, I've totally missed the point. The point is that, that, that actually Jesus is the one who serves us. The gospel message is a is message that, that we were helpless, in need, in death, in our sin. But our needs were met not just by anyone, but by the Lord of all creation. And not only that, our Christian life is a lifetime of being daily served by Jesus as he continues to lead, lead us and, and continue to pray for us and continues to intercede for us. And so today, on the fourth Sunday of Advent, we come to the fourth Son of Man statement. It's, it's the second half of one long statement for Mark 10, 45. But I wanted to separate them out because I think there's so much within this, this second part that it deserves its own consideration. So let me read it for us again. Jesus says, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So this is the statement we're looking at today. The Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many. This phrase is a statement of of purpose from Jesus, and it's the culmination of all of them, I think. Yes, He came to seek and save the lost, and He did this by, by giving His life for us. Yes, He came eating and drinking. Why? So He could be our ransom. Yes, He came not to be served, but to serve. But how has He served us? By giving, us, by giving His life as, a, as our ransom. And so we sit in that tension. And it's okay to feel the weight of, of the wrong in the world. That's a good thing. We, we sit in the tension, and we ask, where is the hope in the world? It's in that tension that we look to Jesus. You see, Jesus is the hope that the world needs. Now listen, I intend fully until the day I die to, to do what I can to serve those in need, to, to, to do, and we should, we should, as Christians, we should do more than we do right now. We do a pitiful job of that. But I believe that what the world needs more than an end to war is the love of Jesus. What, what people in our streets need more than heat in their homes it's the love of Christ. What is our hope in life and death? It's, it's the assurance that flows from trust in Christ, who has given His own life to pay the price of our sin, and through His resurrection has conquered death and secured our future. There is no hope apart from Jesus. This is the, the hope in the world. And so, those of us who are trusting in Jesus we can endure. We can can continue on no matter what we are facing in life. No matter how hard and painful the journey is, we know that there is hope because we have received the love of Christ because He has demonstrated, like like Hannah prayed and read for us, that He has demonstrated His love. How? Because the Son of Man has come to give His life as a ransom for many. And the first part of that is give His life. Now, I was thinking about this week, it's kind of a weird thing um, to be thinking about, the, uh, like, to be at the birth of a baby and, and th- at the same time thinking about that baby's death, right? That's a, a very morbid thing. It would be weird, and please don't ever do this, to go to visit, imagine you go to visit parents and they have a newborn baby and the baby's maybe, you know, the parents are doing that thing where they're looking at the baby and the baby's doing the wee snuffly noises they make when they're sleeping, it's amazing, and then you go, I wonder how he's going to die. <laughs> like, that, don't, don't do that. But, but actually, when we look at the birth of Jesus and we see that baby lying in the manger, we have to look at his death. Because his death was the whole reason that he was born. The only person that, that, was, that has ever been born with the purpose of dying. We all die, but that was never our purpose. God never intended us to be born to die, but he intended Jesus to be born to die. And maybe you think, well, that seems really unfair, why did Jesus have to die? Why did, why did God send a son into the world just to have him die? And listen, we need to be careful that while we ask this question, and it's okay to ask the question, by the way, but as we ask that question, we have to trust that there was no other way. Like if we're questioning why God couldn't find another way, another way that didn't mean the death of his totally innocent son, then we, we might be in danger of implying that God's plan for salvation wasn't the best course of action. That maybe there was some other way that would have been better. But Deuteronomy 32 verse 4 reminds us that that He is the rock. His works are perfect. And all His ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong. Upright and just is He. And this means that the plan of salvation, His plan is perfect. There there was no other way that that, that would have brought us into salvation. and, And reconciled us back to God. And when we read that statement, the Son of Man came to give His life, I think this shows us two things. It shows us that that this was both intentional and willing, right? Intentional and willing. He gave His life. So let that sink in for a minute. That this act of giving His life as a ransom was intentional. Jesus intentionally gave His life. And as we sit in that anticipation, even this week as we're looking forward to Christmas and all the busyness, think of this. The coming of Jesus to give his life was intentional. Jesus says he came to give up his life. This is the heart of Christmas there simply is no other reason why the Son of God was born as the baby called Jesus. There literally is no other reason why the Son of Man came to earth, right? He didn't he didn't come to, to earth for other reasons and then get caught up in some plot that resulted in his death, like an accident, you know? People always talk about, and I have friends who aren't Christians, they talk about, yeah, I love the teachings of Jesus. Or, or they love the, the kindness of Jesus, how he cared for the marginalized or the poor but Jesus didn't enter our world just to be a good teacher or just be a good example. He didn't just come to care for those in need or, or even to perform miracles and heal the sick and raise the dead. Make no mistake about it. Jesus came to die. Like he was always the plan, the plan of salvation uh, that God has had in action since the, since the, the very creation of the world. And it's, it, it's, not, it's not an accidental thing that just happened to Jesus. And nor is it some kind of last-ditched attempt to save us. This is plan A. I think about Messi in the World Cup. So today at 3 o'clock, I'll be watching it. The World Cup final kicks off. France, Argentina. And I think it's, it's probably the most anticipated final that I can remember because of Lionel Messi. One of the best players to ever play the game... I mean, I'm a Man United fan, but Ronaldo's kind of, he's lost all his sheen for me, to be honest, but um, (laughs) one of the best players to ever play the game, and I think that if he wins the World Cup, then he probably will go down as the greatest ever, and people are saying that this is his last shot at glory. He's going to be too old to play in the next World Cup, and if he wins the World Cup, he will be the greatest ever. This is his last shot at glory. I'm talking way too much about Messi, but My point is, Jesus coming and dying was not the last shot at glory. It wasn't like the last-ditch attempt to save us. This was always the plan. It was intentional. The Son of God being born as a human being and giving up His life for us was not some kind of Hail Mary, no pun intended. This was always the intentional plan. This has to be the most shocking thing about Christmas, doesn't it? That this baby was born to die. Hebrews 2.14 just puts it really plainly. It just says, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has power of death, that is the devil. This just means that, that because we, the children, are flesh and, and blood human beings, that the Son of God became a flesh and blood human being. And why has he done this? So that through his death he might destroy the devil and death itself. That's why he became flesh and blood. This was always God's plan. Jesus came intentionally in the way that he did to die in our place as our sacrifice so that he could do what we could never do and defeat death itself. And if we, and if we look back at the context of, of Mark chapter 10 here where, where this statement is made, where Jesus makes this statement, what's happening is that, that he's on his way up to Jerusalem. The very next chapter is when he enters Jerusalem and then the week unfolding to his death you know, happens. And all His followers, as, they, as they're as they coming up to, to Jerusalem, they're, they're all amazed and afraid, right? Because everybody kind of suspects that something incredible and dangerous is going to happen, and they're totally right. They sense that Jesus is walking into a trap, and they're right. He is. And He tells them what He is walking into willingly. He says, I think this is verse 33. I'll read it here. He says, see, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And Jesus knowingly walks into the jaws of suffering and death this is incredible I, I don't think that any of us would do this I think if I was if I was going somewhere and someone told me hey there's a bunch of people down there that, that are going to kill you and they have very specific ways of torturing you before they do that like I would I would be t- turning around and going the other way I'd be I'd be trying to find any way to save my life but not Jesus it's because there was no other way because the only way for Us to be with him and be saved was for him to die. He intentionally walks towards death. This is how he loves us. The fourth candle is love. This is how he loves us. From the moment he was born in Bethlehem, his whole life was intentionally moving towards this. This child growing up with the love of Mary as he worked in his dad's carpenter shop, not his real dad, that's what Abby told me the other day, Joseph's not his real dad, and I was like, yes, good girl. As he worked in his dad's workshop, and entered this public ministry, every step he took, every word he said, every person he taught, every meal he ate, every person he healed, every uh, conversation he had was all intentionally moving him closer and closer and closer to his death. And please, this was something that Jesus was forced into. Just as it was intentional, it was willing. Jesus said the Son of Man came to give his life. He his life. He went to the cross. He chose to die. He intentionally participates in his own execution. Who chose to live. It's not like these Russian soldiers that we've seen on the media and YouTube and so on who are, who are only fighting and you're forced into it. There. But Jesus isn't an unwilling soldier in the war against evil. He fought our battle. He's not so much as an unwilling soldier as a willing sacrifice. And there's a massive difference. Change my back. There we go. Is that okay? In John 10, 17 to 18, Jesus says, He just makes it clear. He just says, For this is the reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. And I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. And this charge I have received from my Father. He says, I I lay down my life of my own accord. Yeah, of course, we know that people killed him. And and Peter, in in the first and second chapters of Acts, like preaches on this, that yous killed Jesus. He said yous because he was from Northern Ireland. Yous killed Jesus. And that's true, they did. But they didn't know what they were doing. On the cross, Jesus says, forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. They were participating in his plan of salvation. Jesus gave his life willingly and gladly for us. Imagine the conversation that happened in heaven. Imagine this. The Father says, Our people are lost. Our, our, they, they need salvation. Like, look what's happened. Look what they've done. And we love, love them so much, and they were created out of our love. And before the Father can finish speaking, Jesus says, I know what needs to be done, Father. Give me a body. I know the depth of their need. I know that we are a God of perfect justice and I know that a price has to be paid for the wrongs to be made right. I will do it. Father, give me a body. I want to walk in their footsteps. I want to know their pain. I want to share in their hunger and their tiredness and hurt. Give me a body. I want to hug them and laugh with them. I know what needs to be done, Father. Give me a body. I want to give my life for them. And we may look at the manger and think, that's unfair. That's unfair that this baby has to die. But please don't miss that the Son of God came willingly. He came to die for you. John 10 verse 10 says that Jesus, he talks about himself, he says, Jesus is the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. This means that, that Jesus, as a shepherd and Savior, willingly gives up his life for us. And 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 I and and we question, don't we? We question: Does God really love me? God, do you really love me? Does, Does God really care about me at all? Well, listen. Jesus was willing to do whatever it took for our salvation and safety, our security. He loves us so much that when the only way to save us was was to give up all the glory of heaven, to be born as a human baby, to live a life of being despised and rejected, to die, he came gladly. Like, where else can you find that kind of love? It, it, tell me, am I wrong? Is, is this not the hope that the world needs right now? The Son of Man came to give His life. That's the first part. But the second part of that verse is that He gave His life as a ransom. Now, why a ransom? Because that's kind of a funny word, isn't it? Like, a ransom is, is usually something that is paid to release someone that is captive, Right? Like in a hostage situation or a kidnapping, (laughs) You know, like the kidnapper will demand that a ransom is paid, and then, you know, they're they're released. And this is exactly what Jesus means here. The word he uses in the original language means this, a payment to release someone from some kind of bondage. For example, prisoners of war, slavery, or debt. Okay? So Jesus is saying that he sees his death as a ransom to release people from bondage. He is paying what we can't pay ourselves, like the the, the person who's kidnapped, the person who's in bondage, can't pay their own ransom. So, He is paying what we can't pay ourselves so that we can go free. He is substituting Himself. He, He gives His life, and we get freedom. He gets death, and we get life. And so, this ransom is describing a substitution, Jesus in the place of the many. And make no mistake about it, Jesus intentionally and willingly put himself in your place. He intentionally and willingly substituted himself for you. But why did a ransom have to be paid in the first place? I mean, what is the bondage or slavery that we are in that we need to be ransomed from? Well, Jesus describes it himself in John 8, 34. He says we are enslaved to sin. He says, truly, truly, I say to you... Everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. So it's not so much that we occasionally do something wrong, which we all do. It's rather that we are under the power of sin. We were slaves of sin, and we need to be ransomed from its power. Like, I've already talked about how dark the world can seem at a minute. And when we look around and see all the brokenness and darkness in the world, what we're seeing are the results of sin. Sin let loose across the world. Because it's easy to see all that out there in the world, but the truth is we need to see the sin in us too. Like, we, we all are sinful. We all have the tendency to hate others, to be self-centered, to, to, to be out for whatever we can get, to want our own way all the time. Like, you know this to be true. You know this in yourself. If you've ever been in the car with me when I'm driving, you'll know it in me, right? The other, yeah, not the other day, yesterday, sitting in traffic, trying to get out of Belfast, just complaining about the amount of traffic, saying, can you all please get out of my life? Like, that's my heart when I'm driving. It's awful. But it's an example of the sin that exists in in, in all of us. This tendency that we have to, to just want our own way all the time. And if you extrapolate that up from the individual to a world level, you do get things like wars. You do get things like refugees. You do get things like cost of living crisis. The world we see around us is a result of, of personal sin being played out on a societal level. All of us are sinners, and, and that's not even the worst part. It gets worse. <laughs> the worst part is that not only are we slaves to sin, but Jesus taught us that the penalty for sin is eternal punishment. Matthew twenty five forty six. Jesus says, These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Sin brings the wrath of God. It brings judgment. And we all protest and we say, like, hang on a second, like, I don't want to face God's wrath. It seems a bit extreme. I'm not that bad. But the truth is that we all want justice to be done, don't we? We look at things in the news, and we want peace to come. We want the wrongs to be made right. We hear of terrible crimes, like rapes and murders, and we want that person to be found and to be punished. But if we want justice, then justice has to be done across the board. And God is perfectly fair. And so so if he is going to punish all the sin out there, then he has to punish the sin in here too. And if we don't find rescue from the guilt of our sin, we will be punished because sin is an infinite offense against an infinitely holy God. And so the slavery and the bondage that we need to be ransomed from is the slavery of sin. The wages of sin is death, says Paul. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And maybe you're thinking, well, yep. So far, this is not a very Christmassy message. (laughs) Like, this is pretty dark. I mean, focus on the good stuff. We want to focus on the Jesus as the baby, coming to be our flesh, coming to meet us on our needs, coming to know our weaknesses. We want that. But we need to face up to the bad news because without the bad news, there is no good news. But here's... The good news. Here's the good news. The glad tidings of great joy that the angel told those shepherds on the hillside outside Bethlehem is this: that the Son of Man has come to give his life as a ransom, to ransom us from the guilt and power of sin and rescue us from the penalty of eternal punishment. That's good news. So how has Jesus done this? How has he paid our ransom? <laughs> He's already told us, by giving His life, He gives His life as the ransom. That means that, that He dies for us. The ransom price was His life. Jesus says, this, this is the cost that has to be paid, and I will pay it. This is why the Bible over and over again tells us that, that Christ died to save us. Romans 5, 8 why we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5.10, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. 1 Peter 2.24, He bore our sins in His body on the tree. 1 Peter 3.18, Christ died for sin once for all, the just for the unjust. The heart of the Christian the Christmas message is the Christian gospel, and the Christian gospel is that Christ came to give His life as a ransom for, me, for many. This baby, that little baby in the manger that we look at every Christmas, came to die to give up his life intentionally and willingly so that we could be freed from our captivity to sin. He gives his life, and we get freedom. He gets death, and we get life. He gave up heaven so that we could gain heaven. He became human so that we could share in the divine. This is the heart of Christmas. We we can't look at the manger without looking at the cross. As weird as it is to look at a baby and think about their death, this is what we must do with the baby Jesus, because the manger is just a stepping stone to the cross. The Son of Man came to give His life as a ransom. But the final part of the statement is this, that the Son of Man has come to give His life as a ransom for many. (laughs) What does Jesus mean by the many? Because when we look around us, it seems that there aren't that many Christians in the world. Even in Northern Ireland, we're in the minority. But when Jesus says the many, we aren't, we're, we're meant to notice the contrast between Him being one and all the people who will be ransomed, many. It's by one man's willing sacrifice that many people will be set free from captivity. One gave His life for many. Now, I'm a big, big fan of the TV show, The West Wing, and uh, there's one episode where um, the president is on his way to make a speech at some kind of fancy dinner, and on the way there, he hears the news that there has been a terrible fire at a university, and, and he hears how that when seeing their friends trapped in the burning building, some students ran inside to try to save them, but they perished in the fire too in their attempt to save their friends. And in his speech, the president points to this as a great example of humanity. And it's a really moving scene. Like, it'll bring a lump to your throat every single time. And he says over and over again, they ran into the fire. They ran into the fire. And of course, this is an incredible thing to do. People who give their lives to save others should be honored. Martyrs for good causes should be celebrated. But the truth is that there is no one except Jesus who could, who could give their life to save us. He is the one who ran into the fire for the many. He's the only one who could do this. The one for the many. And many will be saved. And this is where we come back to the tension. This is where we come back to the tension of Advent, looking forward. You see, the hope that the world needs now is the hope of Advent, the hope of Christmas. The hope The only hope in the world is the hope that we see in the birth of Jesus as the Son of Man comes to give His life as a ransom for many. We might not think that there are many who will be with Jesus, but listen to the words of Revelation 7, verses 9 to 10. This is the future. This is looking forward. John, who is Jesus' disciple, writes this, and he says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude That no one could number. From every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Like a great multitude that no one could number. Like it might feel that you're on the wrong side of history. I I think this sometimes, like when you struggle with your Christian faith, when you're walking through the doubts and when you're walking through the fears. Maybe this week you've even been thinking, what's the point? Am I really right in trying to follow Jesus? Because the world seems to be going in a completely different direction. It's progressive in so many ways. Am I really right to be following this? But please hear God say to you this morning, yes, you are right to follow Him. This is the future that awaits us, an uncountable number of people from, from every tribe and nation and tongue all gathered around Jesus, rightly worshipping him, praising him, glorifying him, saying, Salvation belongs to our Lord our God and to the Lamb. The Lamb is Jesus. That baby that was born among the animals in a backwater village, in, 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 a, in a backwater place, forgotten and undesirable, who grew up poor and unnoticed, who was despised and killed. In that day he will be glorified by an uncountable number. One for the many. This is this is what we're looking forward to. This is the tension of Advent. And so even this week, as we look forward to next Sunday, when we'll celebrate Christmas, we'll have the feast, we'll enjoy celebration with friends and family. What we're really looking forward to, and what the world really needs, is not another Christmas day. Well, let's be honest, we just celebrate Christmas for Christmas. That's what most people do. But, but what we really need is the hope that is in Christmas, the hope that the Son of Man came to give His life as a ransom for many. Look forward to that this Christmas and listen to the hope that we have because He has done this. Revelation 7 goes on to tell us the future that awaits us. This is what it says. These people that Jesus just talked about, the uncountable number. This is what it says. The uncountable number have washed their robes, scrubbed them clean in the blood of the Lamb. That's why they're standing before God's throne. They serve Him day and night in His temple. The one in on the throne will pitch His tent for them there No more hunger, no more thirst, no more scorching heat. The Lamb on the throne will shepherd them and will lead them to spring waters of life, and God will wipe every last tear from their eyes. So where's the hope? That's the hope. This is the hope. This is the hope for any and all who trust in Jesus. No more hunger, no more thirst. Instead, spring waters of life. Every last tear wiped away from our eyes. Consider this again. On that day, this is the hope of Advent. On that day, all the pain you've ever felt, all the loneliness, all the being overwhelmed by life's circumstances, all the heartbreak, all the betrayal, all the anxiety, all the depression, on that day, it will all be over. One day, we will wake up, and it will slowly dawn on us, that we have nothing worrying us. Can you imagine what that feels like? Can you imagine waking up and not having a hint of regret, not having a hint of fear, not having a hint of doubt or anxiety or worry? On that day, we will wake up and instead of slowly remembering all the things that caused us doubt and worry, we will realize that all we have is satisfaction and contentment and joy. How is this possible? How can I have this hope? Because the Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many. And I know I don't make any apologies for talking doom and gloom so close to Christmas. Because this is the hope in the dark world. That the Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray. Come Holy Spirit. Work in our hearts. Um, Allow us to receive this message. Allow us to receive again the hope that you have, the hope that we have in you. Holy Spirit, may we receive you this Christmas. May we not just celebrate Christmas for the sake of celebration, but may we celebrate the hope that we have in Jesus, who has given his life as a ransom for many. Lord Jesus, I pray especially for anybody who's... um, feeling that weight of fear and doubt and anxiety. Anyone who's been questioning uh, their salvation, anyone who's been questioning whether it's right to follow you or not, Lord, I pray that you would work in their hearts right now, that we would um, we would see that f- that sure future hope that we have in you. Uh, Lord, we long for your peace to come into the world. We say, come, Lord Jesus. Remind us again of what it cost you, uh, to give us this hope, to give us this future. As we come around your table, as we, we take the, the, the bread and the wine, Father, would you come again and remind us that you gave your life willingly as our ransom, our sacrifice, and may we be renewed in faith and hope and joy this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, just as